USAA is proudly celebrating 100 years of serving the military community. It was a group of soldiers who launched USAA in 1922 by joining together to insure each other's vehicles when no one else would. Since then, USAA has grown to more than 13 million members strong. And through it all, one thing has remained. USAA is still serving the military community and their families. Find out more at USAA.com 100. Today on Veterans Voice, learn about the Traeger Approach, a massage therapy technique helping veterans with complex PTSD. Plus, a throwback interview with Casey Campbell, a fighter pilot who is inspiring us all with her story-turned book, Flying in the Face of Fear. And hot! Welcome to the Veterans Voice, presented by USAA. Veterans Voice is a service of Mount Carmel Veterans Service Center, originating from the Optum Podcast Studio in partnership with podcast channel sponsor, Medicare Mentors, technology partner, Colorado Computer Support, and supporting partner, the WireNut Home Services. Welcome back, listeners. This is Paul Watson, your host of Veterans Voice. Next up on the show, we have Michael Lear from the United States Traeger Association and Traeger International. We have Roberto Rangel and Angela Darling from Solvum Clinic here, right here in Colorado Springs in old Colorado City. First, Michael, I want to talk with you about Traeger. Um, Traeger is a movement technique, kind of similar to massage, kind of similar to chiropractic, but I'm probably really messing that up. So uh, I'm going to let the the professional talk here. So tell us a little bit about Traeger and how it's for mind, body, and everything. Sure. Um, Dr. Traeger's work actually does use touch and movement um, but in, rather than working directly on the tissue, it's designed to work with the nervous system. So the non-invasive or trauma-informed touch sets up a context of like deep safety and trust with the nervous system. So it allows it to start letting go of dysfunctional muscle holding patterns or compensatory responses that are set up to, from injuries surgeries or traumas of various kinds so you said something like nervous system so how obviously we're a veteran Mm -hmm. pod so veterans with ptsd veterans with anxiety you know what what's the benefit to that sure so you know a lot of the the responses to the circumstances are valid you know at the time that they're they're unfolding um the the nervous system it can sometimes get kind of locked in the on position so what this allows is for the uh again the nervous system to perceive safety and then it can start to do its own assessment and say, hey, I no longer need to be doing that any longer. So mm-hmm. it can really help downregulate the polyvagal system for hypervigilance in that regard. And then when that layer of stress is kind of uh, softened or peeled away, the body can start to come up with different strategies that are a little more, uh, more optimal, appropriate for you know, a, a different social dynamic. Yeah. And I sat down on the table for about 20 minutes. I know your sessions are usually about 90 minutes or yeah. so. I sat down for 20 minutes. I was on my feet all day that day and I have horrible lower back pain and I walked around like a baby deer all day. It was awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and that's just the physical aspect of it. But, but because we all know that anxiety, depression, massive size and physical pain, mm-hmm. it all, it's, it hits everybody differently. Mm-hmm. And so I think this, that's why I wanted to have you guys on today. Cause I think it's just a great approach. It's, it's a, a, again, a non-standard approach, which is one of my favorites to, to helping the whole body. Sure. Well, so, you know, the, the approach actually <clears throat> meets the criteria for trauma uh, de-escalation uh, in the sense that it provides a safe context. The, the touch and the engagement of the practitioner sets up a predictability 
that allows the nervous system to track what's happening. And then there's this choice piece. And the choice is really the body doing its own assessment saying, okay, I can let go. Awesome. Right? So, but we use the body and the tissue and the structure as kind of the handle to the mind to set up that dynamic, right? It's kind of a safe yeah. container. And then it does its own assessment and then it starts to change. So it's a neuromuscular learning. And then in addition to the, the table work, we teach exercises that can help that are functional. You can build right into your day to keep those uh, muscular changes um, you know, in play or to continue to elicit similar muscular responses. Right? So it, it's a self-awareness a mo model as well. But since it's the, the nervous system and the brain deciding to let go of holding patterns that are compromising optimal function, uh, it can be, that can be habituated, right? So new movement patterns, more functional, more comfortable patterns can replace painful strategies that were valid at the time, but maybe no longer relevant to what's happening, you know, in real time at this moment. That's amazing. That's great. So now that we know a little bit about the Traeger approach, now we can get into uh, how we how we can get it done here in Colorado Springs. So have Angela and Roberto on here from Solvem. They have a clinic down here, like I said before, in Colorado Springs. Guys, tell us a little bit about, about the clinic and, and your guys' approach to the veteran community uh, here in Colorado Springs. So I opened Solvem Health a little bit more than a year ago. I've been working with the veteran population since not too long after the VA started to cover massage. Um, I'm a licensed massage therapist. I got into Traeger shortly after or right around the time I started working with veterans. I had been interested in it for a while, um, particularly for its potential with helping complex PTSD and actually got into it for my own healing, my own complex PTSD. And it was absolutely transformational, but it just kind of all sort of fell, sort of fell together at the same time. I could see a huge need with where I was at at the time for better care for veterans in this particular context. And so I decided to open up Solvum to meet those needs. Yeah. Our veterans deserve the best care that can possibly be provided. So 98% of my clientele is um, veterans. We offer the Traeger approach as well as other things like uh, deep tissue, and uh, electrocupping, and I also offer uh, PEMF, pulse electromagnetic frequency, and it does a whole host of other really amazing things in combination with the treatments, and this is all available to everyone that has a referral with me. I also serve um, the civilian population. Yeah, that's great. Uh, and I sat down with you guys yesterday for about an hour and a half to talk about your clinic. And one thing I really appreciated is uh, you guys kind of told me that you, you kind of made a safe space uh, in the clinic for veterans to come. I mean, some guys, some people come over there and they don't even get seen. They just want to be around other people. Roberto, can you hit a little bit on that and, and how you make this such a great place for veterans to go to? Yeah, so, you know, I joined the Army in 2006. Um, 2009 to 2011, I was deployed to Iraq, took an IED. Uh, didn't penetrate the hull. It threw us 10 feet in the air with full battle rattle. You know, it compressed two of my lower vertebrae, ruptured a third. Uh, almost instantly ended up uh, ruining my career. Spent a couple years in the Warrior Transition Unit and then ended up switching over to the reserves. So, you know, did a few more deployments after that. And then in 2021, medically retired. So 15 years total service. It, it turned out that when... When I was at my lowest point in my life is when a friend brought me to Angela. Um, you know, he said that there's this, these people that are doing amazing things, building this clinic for us. 
and and they could really use our help. So, no, I jumped on board and never really left. Um, we noticed right off the bat that you know veterans talk to veterans a lot easier than they do anyone else. Being in the same places as them, having some of the same experiences really opens up somebody's. Yeah, so it was one of those things that like when they walk in, we're like, oh, how long have you been in? And they're like, oh, you know, I was in for 10 years, four years, you know, 23 years, whatever it was. And they were like, what branch? You know, there's that mm -hmm. general hazing oh, yeah. that we have, in, <laughs> you know, in between branches. <laughs> Two but dogs then, meeting. Yeah, and then they're like, they're like, oh, well, what did you do? And I was like, oh, I was a mechanic. And they're like, oh, you guys. Right? And then we're like, <laughs> like oh, well, what did you do? He's like, MP. And we're like, wow, you're the most hated people. <laughs> you know, so it just, it, it brought that camaraderie that we miss once we mm -hmm. get out of service. And then, you know, they'd come and get this amazing, you know, Angela is the only active practitioner in Colorado for the trigger approach. Yeah, that that is huge. The only person that really has honed this skill, you know, is is in Colorado. So so the next day, you know, the same veteran or patient would come back and we're like, hey, you know, is there a problem? Did we forget something? You know, what could we do? And he's like, nah, I just I really enjoyed yesterday. I really wanted that again. And then we throw them on the other therapies. Hey, since you're here, let's have a talk. Let's go, let's go try this. Let's go have fun. Right. And 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 at that point, everybody it, it just it becomes that that coffee table or that shop that everyone wants to be at and and because we know what we've gone through we get to share our stories without judgment without bias without anything we're just a friendly ear because we've all experienced deployments we've all gone through similar things and that population it needs that we lose our identity once we get out and that's where i was you know at mm -hmm. the worst part of my life getting ready to do the worst thing possible i found this ray of sunshine and then the therapies you know the the trigger approach the pmf it's what turned my behavioral health into this place of healing rather than self-destruction that's amazing i mean it's an amazing story i do have to take a minute for our sponsors right now colorado computer support imagine never having to worry about your information systems ever again Colorado Computer Support, the exclusive Veterans Voice technology partner, meeting all your computing needs. Colorado Computer Support is veteran-owned. They're your team for innovative, collaborative IT services and solutions to enhance and support your Colorado business. When you need IT services to keep your business going, make sure the Colorado Computer Support team is on your team. Call 719-355-2440 to learn more. That's 719-355-2440. WireNut Home Services. Every season brings a new strain on your home systems. Veterans Voice partner, the WireNut Home Services, is the company that you can count on to handle your heating, cooling, and electrical needs. They're family-owned, proud to employ honest, hardworking Coloradans. When you need plumbing, heating, cooling, or electrical help, the WireNut does that. Call 719-399-5021. That's 719-399-5021. Five zero two one. All right, so we're back here with uh, Michael, Roberto, and Angela. You guys have some resources. Where can people go to learn more about this? There's the United States Trigger Association, and that's uh, www.triggerapproach.us, and that'll get you to the uh, national chapter. There's also trigger.com, and that's the international organization. 
Um, in terms of resources specific to this, I would suggest a book that just was published uh, September 8th. It's called Total War on PTSD. It's an alternative guide or a compilation of 44 modalities, uh, alternative treatments to veteran PTSD, compiled by veteran Courtney Nold, and it's available on Amazon. Uh, there's a chapter on the Traeger approach and how it would address the PTSD symptomology. And you wrote that, didn't I you? Did. Yes, I did. That's amazing. That's awesome. And just so to clarify, this is T-R-A-G-E-R. That's correct. Not the smoker. Correct. <laughs> so <laughs> just want to make, make sure everyone knew that. No, all good. Uh, Roberto, you have some local uh, resources and some other resources you guys are using. So right now, you know, if you currently have a VA disability rating, the, the VA will actually give you authorization for massage. We also have a chiropractor coming on board. Her name's Courtney Wright, and we're getting her credential through the VA right now currently. The VA will give massage therapy for most ailments now, including behavioral health. So, you know, when it comes to anxiety, depression, disorders, it calms the nervous system. Massage therapy helps with that. I will also throw out our office phone number. It is 719-345-5099. You could call or text that, and that goes straight to my personal cell phone. So any questions on how to get an authorization, a referral, pricing, hours, you know, anything? I love it. I love that, you know, the VA is, is starting to get on board with these non-standard right. cares because for so long, I mean, I felt like a lot of my buddies were just getting pills. And now we're starting to actually fix the problems. We're not masking them. We're not putting Band-Aids on them. We're actually looking at this as a holistic whole body that can fail at once, that's, and it all could be one thing. Yeah, so uh, I had an incident from our last deployment in 2017, right? When we immediately, almost after we got home within the first two or three months, there was something bad that happened in my personal life. Went to the unit, and I was like, hey, I think I'm in trouble, you know? Luckily, my platoon sergeant was like, hey, get in the truck. We're going to take a drive. Took me down to the VA because in the reserves, I had gotten my DD-214 for my last deployment and then got the care I needed. Walked in uniform to the Pueblo VA, and, and that's what started my journey with the VA. But that day, I walked out with 21 pills. Like, it, was, it was a disaster. So wow. ag agreeable. The fact that they're now looking at alternative rather mm -hmm. than just medication. The traditional medication. It's, it's yeah. amazing. It's amazing. Angela, can you uh, talk a little bit about website, social media? What are all the ways that people can go to find your clinic specifically? My clinic has actually blown up so much since I opened it. I haven't had a lot of time to work on web building. So right now my website is currently under construction, but it's solvemhealth.com. Um, I also have a personal Facebook business page. It's called Angela Darling Massage Artist, and you can find a little bit of information there. We're located at 1902 West Colorado Avenue, Suite 100, and the phone number is 719-345-5099. Also, michaellear.com. Um, yes. So he's based out of Pennsylvania. He works out of Seattle. You know, he's in Vegas. What this man does is truly amazing. MichaelLear.com. I'll just add, too, if the, I'm happy to receive phone calls if anybody wants to reach out to me as well with any questions, 484-542-0249. Awesome. Listen to that, guys. Go to the website. Look up as much as you can. Come by Solve Them and come by Mount Carmel Veterans Service Center. Thank you guys so much for coming on. We'd love to talk to you guys again sometime. You're listening to The Veteran's Voice, presented by USAA in partnership with Optum. Medicare Mentors, Colorado Computer Support, and the WireNet Home Services. Hello, listeners. I'm Angie Baker Saunders, and I'm bringing you an introduction to a special throwback interview excerpt 
as well as a word from our sponsors, Optum Colorado. Veterans Voice is produced in the Optum Podcast Studio. Optum Colorado and Mountain View Medical Group, part of Optum, offer 20 clinics through the Pikes Peak region. Their primary and specialty care doctors provide quality, patient-centered care, backed by Optum's industry-leading healthcare services and technology. Optum is dedicated to helping our community live healthier while keeping care affordable. Visit OptumCare.com Colorado to learn more and schedule your appointment today. Medicare Mentors. When it is time to consider your Medicare options, it's time to talk with Medicare Mentors. Medicare Mentors, powered by Spark, is veteran-owned, a long-standing Mount Carmel Veteran Service Center partner, and the Veterans Voice podcast channel provider. More than that, they go above and beyond to make sure that when you need them, they are there lending a helping hand. Medicare Mentors, powered by Spark, always above and beyond. Visit MedicareMentorsLLC.com for more information. Now, enjoy the interview ahead by former Veterans Voice host Ted Robertson with retired Air Force Colonel Kim Campbell. You'll definitely want to check out Casey Campbell and her book, Flying in the Face of Fear. It's available now. And if you want to hear this entire interview, please check out our podcast archives. And remember to give our podcast a follow to hear more inspiring stories like this one on any of your favorite podcast platforms. I'm Ted Robertson. You're listening to a special to the Veterans Voice and a very important guest with us today, Colonel K.C. Campbell, U.S. Air Force retired, a fighter pilot. She will tell you exactly what she flew and where. Kim, welcome to Veterans Voice. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And thank you for allowing us the grace of calling you by your first name. But we have to start with something kind of interesting here. K.C. Campbell, Kim Campbell. Yes. Not. (laughs) (laughs) Those are my initials, but uh, K.C. also is part of my call sign, In the Air Force, as a fighter pilot, we all get call signs, and it actually stands for Killer Chick. Killer Chick. Yes. And there's a reason for that. What did you fly in the Air Force? I flew the uh, mighty A-10 Warthog. Talk about that progression from when you went in and uh, how you made it to the pilots. (laughs) I actually decided I wanted to be a fighter pilot when I was in fifth grade, which was 1986, And I didn't realize at the time that women weren't actually allowed to be fighter pilots. Um, Thankfully, my parents never told me that. They just told me to work hard and go after what I wanted. And so I decided that I was going to go to the Air Force Academy and become a fighter pilot. Um, It was not an easy road, though. We'll talk about some of the challenges that you faced. Yeah, I think, um, well, the first big challenge was that I received a rejection letter from the Air Force Academy. And, uh, you know, it's competitive to get in and uh, my scores were good, but not good enough. And so I, uh, I decided I would write the Air Force Academy letters every week to let them know that I was still interested. And I eventually got an acceptance letter. I got it in June and uh, reported for basic training a few weeks later uh, with the class of 1997. What was it like standing on that terrazzo for the first time in the cadet area? Um, I would say a term that I've used throughout my career, it was exciting and terrifying at the same time, right? I was super excited to be there. I'd worked so hard and um, a little terrifying in that, you know, I knew it was going to be a long, hard road to get through basic training and then survive that four years, really to try to graduate at the top of my class so that I could get the pilot slot that I wanted. Just how exclusive is that distinction? Well, there are about, it changes every year, but roughly 10,000 applicants to the Air Force Academy. And our class was a little bit smaller than most. We were just over 1,000. 
Um, so it is it is highly competitive, and and then you got to survive and make it through. And uh, we started with just under uh, or just over a thousand uh, cadets, and we finished with uh, about nine hundred. So, you know, we uh, we we lost a few along the way, and it was a lot of hard work. But I'm so thankful for the opportunity, and it obviously got me where I am today. You got you where you are yeah. today, and you certainly were in the right place to do that. And having to be in that top percentage of your class, there's only a, a few people that come out of the academy every year that can sit in a fighter pilot seat, right? There are only so many pilot slots available, and so you know it, it will fluctuate every year. But you have to work really hard and uh, and really put yourself, your mind to it, and your heart to it, and uh, know that if that's what you want, then you got to go after it. You went in with a vision. Yes, it was very clear. Yeah. Your your definite aim. You knew what you wanted. Yeah, from that, and you drove toward that. You had all that support. I had support from my parents. I had support from, you know, high school mentors, teachers, and coaches, which really made a huge difference for me. I mean, they they knew that this was going to be hard, and they pushed me to go after it, and uh, but also work hard and have a good attitude along the way. I think that's th- that with any kind of basic training in any service, they're mm-hmm. really looking to see if, if you've got what it takes because, you know, not only is it getting through the training, but eventually there's combat. And, you know, you've, you've got to be tough. You've got to have that mental toughness. You've got to have the desire to serve. A four-year school and year one, you're looking at year two. What's happening? Um, well, it's, it's, it starts to be about survival. You know, you get through basic training and then survive kind of the rigorous academic, athletic, and military uh, you know, there's so many things to do. There's never enough time. And so how do you survive, not just survive, but how do you excel in doing all of those things? Um, but it was, it was all about with the end goal in mind of graduating and getting, getting that pilot slot. Now, year two to three. Yeah. So now I've got the opportunity to take on some leadership roles at the Air Force Academy. And I was, uh, at the time, we called it the Cadet Wing uh, I think cadet wing superintendent or cadet wing uh, sergeant major, a couple of different terms that we've used, but the highest ranking junior at the Air Force Academy, uh, which was a great opportunity for me to learn from some of our enlisted leaders at the Air Force Academy. And then also I went on my senior year to be the cadet wing commander in charge of all 4,000 cadets. And a great opportunity, again, to try out some of those leadership skills in an environment, a safe environment, and uh, to learn uh, some really good lessons about leadership very early in my career. Now, along the way, you know you want to be a pilot. Yes. You know you want a fighter yeah. aircraft. When did it start to happen for you? Uh, really, once I got that pilot slot out of the Air Force Academy and then went on to pilot training. So I spent a year at pilot training and... Uh, Again, working really hard to go after what I wanted. It was not all smooth sailing, uh, to use a Navy term. Uh, it was not all smooth along the way. I mean, I, I struggled with air sickness initially, which, you know, and then I want to go on and be a fighter pilot. But I, I struggled with that initially and pushed through that, um, but found that I absolutely loved flying. I absolutely loved uh, just being in the air. I loved the challenge of it. Uh, so I really worked hard and stuck to my goal of becoming a fighter pilot. So simulators and then training aircraft and then the actual aircraft, what's that progression like? Well, we do a lot of academics first. We spend a lot of time in the classroom just studying systems, working on emergency procedures, and then we can get in the simulator, give it a try, and then we can finally get in the airplane. And, uh, you know, finally getting in the airplane and experiencing flying for the Air Force for the first time was pretty exciting. 
first things first, tell us about that very first flight in the A-10. What was that yeah. like for you? Getting into the A-10 for the first time was pretty uh, incredible. I mean, it's you're by yourself. There's no, you know, there's no two seats. Well, there are a few, but they're in museums. Um, but you're by yourself. You're, it's a single seat fighter, so you're by yourself. The first time your instructor is tucked in kind of right behind you to watch everything that you do. Um, but it is really exciting, you know, to get airborne and to know. For me, it was like this culmination of I knew I had made it. Um, I am finally flying a fighter jet. And it was really exciting um, for about a few seconds. And then I had to focus on the ride itself. Truly, you are not an A-10 pilot until you shoot the gun. And so that was probably the most exciting ride was going out to the range for the first time to shoot the Gatling gun, um, which was which was really exciting and kind of a turning point of like, okay, now I've made it. Now I'm actually an A-10 pilot. What does the A-10 shoot? So the A-10 is built around a 30 millimeter Gatling gun. It's 19 feet long. Uh, and the airplane is kind of wrapped around this gun. And so when you shoot the gun, uh, you can feel it vibrate and rumble beneath you. You can see the gun gases and the smoke. Um, so it's a, a full body experience to shoot that gun. And do you remember what your first target was on the range? Uh, it's a. It's actually not very exciting. It's a metal hulk designed to look like a tank, but there's no fuel inside. So when you shoot the gun and the bullets impact the tank, there's no big explosion. It's just little sparkles, um, which is, uh, you know, just still exciting to see knowing that you hit the target. Where were you stationed at the time all this training was going on? I was stationed at Davis-Monthan Air Force Base in Tucson, Arizona, which is where I did my A-10 training. Um, I started in July of 2001 and finished in December of 2001. And so um, 9-11 happened while I was in A-10 training. And I think, you know, when when that happened, we immediately knew that our life was going to be forever changed as as the rest of the world I think felt in many ways and many Americans I mean it was just a turning point I mean we knew we were under attack we knew that you know for me I looked at it and said well this is you know my life as an A-10 pilot my life as an Air Force officer is going to change dramatically I think we knew we were going to war after finishing A-10 training I went to Pope Air Force Base uh, to join the 75th Fighter Squadron and uh, we deployed two months later. We actually left just a few months later to go to Afghanistan. And, um, you know, that was a very quick turn uh, to finish training and, and then go deploy and fly in combat for the first time. And your mission in Afghanistan was to fly support missions for the troops on the ground. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that is the primary mission of the A-10 is to support our ground troops. And interestingly enough for me, by the time we got to Afghanistan, um, things had calmed down. I mean, it was fairly quiet. Uh, we were doing a lot of convoy escort and support and overwatch. Um, and so it was just the difference of being overhead and providing support and kind of that confidence to our ground troops that we were going to be there no matter what happened. Um, but it was an interesting first deployment. It was almost eerily quiet for us. And then we got home and, and we went turned around very quickly and went to Iraq, which was a very different environment. Uh, Iraq 2003, when Operation Iraqi Freedom kicked off. Something happened, and that was the genesis of the book that you wrote, Flying in the Face of Fear. Yeah. Yeah. Um, while serving in Iraq, I flew several combat missions, but I think most memorable for me is a mission that I flew on April 7th uh, when my airplane was hit with a surface terror missile. And, you know, it was that moment of being over Baghdad and, and having to rely on all the training and everything that it really had 
that I had worked towards at that point, all the hard work, all the training, everything, you know, kind of at one point in my life, I was required to take this, you know, very quick action to survive. In the book, I talk about a lot of the experiences that I've had, you know, not just on that mission, but flying other A-10 missions and all the lessons that they taught me. Um, because I think the thing is, as veterans, we learn so many lessons from our experiences, from our unique experiences. And those lessons um, are lessons that I think should be shared with others. I think, you know, I'm passionate about sharing lessons and experiences to help other people grow and develop. And so that's what this book is about. You've been listening to The Veteran's Voice, presented by USAA. Veterans Voice is a service of Mount Carmel Veterans Service Center and originates from the Optum Podcast Studio located on the Mount Carmel Veterans Service Center campus in Colorado Springs, Colorado. The podcast channel is provided by Medicare Mentors. Computing Power is provided by Technology Partner Colorado Computer Support. Additional funding is provided by Supporting Partner The Wire Nut Home Services. Veterans Voice airs on flagship station KRDO News Radio Sundays at 7.30 a.m. The podcast publishes Saturday at 8 a.m. and is available on all your favorite podcast apps.